Hello, and welcome to the This Girl Loves Sleep podcast, the show that will help your entire family bring back bedtime. Each episode, sleep expert Alana McGinn discusses your burning sleep questions and provides you with tangible sleep tips and tricks to help you create your own sleep plan for your family. Whether it's how to extend your baby's naps, end bedtime battles with your toddler, or help you sleep better at night, this podcast talks all things sleep to help you and your family get the sleep you deserve. With colleagues, friends, and other wellness experts, Alana discusses all lifestyle topics that you want more information on. Are you ready to bring back bedtime? Here's your host, sleep educator, mom of three, and pop culture fanatic, Alana McGinn. Guys, you don't have to be sleep deprived just because you have a baby. If you think you are destined to months of no sleep after having a baby, think again. I am going to be your guide in teaching your baby how to become a champion sleeper with the same compassionate and practical wisdom I've used to help thousands of families get better sleep. You are the expert at your baby's sleep. No, really, you are. And I'm going to teach you how to use your knowledge about your baby to create a personalized sleep plan grounded in the science of sleep. I want to introduce you to my first book in the This Girl Loves Sleep series titled This Baby Loves Sleep. In This Baby Loves Sleep, I debunk the myths about baby sleep that may be keeping your little one from getting the rest he or she needs. I use the newborn weeks as the foundation for building good sleep habits. I apply my four good night sleep tools as the basis for your baby's sleep plan. And I help your baby fall asleep on his or her own throughout the night without your assistance. And we prioritize maternal and paternal mental health during your baby's infancy. This is the baby sleep book that every tired parent needs to own. You won't be skipping any chapters with this one. I made it my mission to create an easy to read, easy to apply and plan sleep book that gets to the heart of what's going on with your baby's sleep quickly and insightfully so that you can start applying these practical science-based baby sleep steps that have helped thousands of our families as early as tonight. So what's inside this baby loves sleep? You're going to learn newborn know-how. You will learn to recognize the connection between your newborn's brain development and sleep. I write about sleep environment. Understand the important role that sleep environment plays in your baby's sleep. We're going to talk about schedules, guys. It's the question we get asked so often from our families. So you are going to learn the biologically appropriate times your baby should be awake and asleep based on age and development. The approach, you will be able to find the sleep training method that works best for you and your baby. And guys, who's ready for longer naps? You will be able to unlock the secrets of restful and longer and I mean it, guys, longer naps. You're going to get all the answers to your most common baby sleep dilemmas. I wrote this book with you in mind because I remember what it was like to be exhausted and needing information, safe, practical, research-based information that I could apply to my baby sleep plan stat. This Baby Love Sleep is the baby sleep book that will help your baby learn the important skill of independent sleep, helping your family get the sleep they need. 
You can find a link to purchase this baby love sleep over at goodnightsleepsite.com and it's available to download now. That's right. You can start reading it within seconds and your baby can start sleeping soundly before you know it. Hi, I'm Alana McGinn from goodnightsleepsite.com, a website offering free sleep resources for you and your family. You can also find information on our amazing certified sleep consultant team who can help you with each step along the way to creating your family sleep plan. October is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month, with October 15th being National Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Day. One in four women will suffer a loss via miscarriage, stillbirth, or infant loss at some point in their lives. The topic of miscarriage and infertility is one that is close to my heart in that I myself suffered from three miscarriages and struggled with secondary infertility. I also know many women who have or are struggling with the same awful circumstances. This will be a topic that I will bring into episodes from time to time, and my hope is to have women and men come on to share their own personal journey. But today, I wanted to discuss my own journey, and my hopes is that those who perhaps are struggling with loss or infertility will listen to this and understand that you are not alone. I needed to know that and feel it when I was lost in this chapter of my life. And now that I have this platform to speak to many of you, I really want to share it. So this is my story. wanted what most women want. (laughs) I wanted it all. I wanted the career. I wanted the husband, the house with the white picket fence. But most of all, I wanted children. Only two, two years apart. And of course, I already had their names picked out. And I was on the right track. I had a great career. I was married to an amazing man who shared all my family values and dreams. I look at innocence and perhaps naivety as a bubble, right? It's a bubble that at some point in our lives, we all live in. So my bubble at that time was safe and comfortable. It was formed of my goals and my dreams. We were on our path and we were happy. Our bubble was solid. So we started trying to get pregnant soon after we were married and it happened pretty quickly. The first month trying, you know, I peed on a stick and there was the line and I couldn't believe it. I don't know, for some reason, I kind of just assumed it would take time. So we were thrilled. We were happy, short-lived. We were happy for two whole days. And I, I still remember this very clearly. I was at the mall. I was at a store. I remember the store I was in. I remember the song that was playing. And I remember just all of a sudden getting really bad cramps. And then unfortunately, our happiness ended. I had what would be my first miscarriage. It was very early what they call a chemical pregnancy. You know, I went to my doctor. My doctor said it was very common, you know, not to be concerned that I could start trying again as soon as we wanted to. And I was okay for the most part. I thought, okay, it's common. It happens. We'll start trying again. So, I mean, my bubble was still pretty solid, 
but it was a little smaller, but not much. So we started trying again right away. And wouldn't you know it, we got pregnant right away again. I was a little scared, but still excited. And nine months later, my daughter was born. She was beautiful. She was perfect in every way. And it was, everything was pretty textbook, textbook pregnancy, textbook labor, nothing crazy or strange. You know, the miscarriage we had was kind of that fading memory and our family was formed, you know, and we were, we were really, really happy. When my daughter was about 16 months old, we started trying to give her a little brother or sister. And after a few months of trying, I became pregnant only to lose it again, much the same way as the first miscarriage. So again, I was pretty discouraged, but I thought in some weird way, I'm like, maybe this is just what my body needs to do. I mean, I knew I could get pregnant and you know, it's okay. We'll try again. Went to my doctor and wouldn't you know it a few months later, there was those two lines again. And I was pregnant again. At this point, you have to understand that my bubble was a little deflated. Those two lines didn't bring me joy and excitement. And I think those that are listening that have had a miscarriage or any kind of loss, I think understand what I mean when I say this. They didn't bring me that joy and excitement. They instead brought me fear. And as much as I wanted to see those lines, I was also really terrified of seeing those lines. And I hated feeling that way. I equate it sometimes to, and I'm assuming there's no kids that are listening to this podcast, so I think I'm okay with saying this, but I kind of equate it to believing in Santa. You no longer believe in Santa. You're, you know, you're in that camp that no longer believes and, you know, the joys and the innocence of that childhood is gone, but there's that side of you that still kind of wishes you believed in Santa and the magic Christmas, you know, when you've had a miscarriage you know very quickly that things can end and end fast. And I wished that I could be in that camp, never having experienced a miscarriage or a loss and felt joy and excitement as soon as they found out they were pregnant and told the world, you know, you, you hear of those women and men, I mean, that shared on Facebook, like, you know, Hey, I'm two weeks pregnant. And all you're thinking of is like, Oh my God, why are you sharing it? You're only two weeks pregnant. But I was jealous of those people because I wanted to feel that thrill and that, that excitement and that joy. But I just, I couldn't, there was so much fear behind seeing those lines. This time around, my doctor was monitoring me and everything was looking great. My HSG levels were rising as they should be. And my doctors and husbands were assuring me that things were looking good. So to, you know, stop being so worried and to start enjoying it. So I said, okay. And I finally bought my eldest daughter, her big sister t-shirt. And we began to tell our family, but it's, you know, it's funny. It's strange when they say it's important to listen to your gut, right? And everything was looking good. Everyone around me was excited and happy. But the more people I told, the more my inner voice was screaming at me that something was wrong. I still remember it to this day. You know, it was saying, this is not going to end well. Stop telling people. But everything was looking good. So I thought, is it my gut or is it my fear? Because at that point, those lines were often blurred. And I just didn't know. Like I said, at that point, I was being monitored because of my history. And at six weeks, we went for an ultrasound and there was no heartbeat. There was no heartbeat and the embryo was measuring two weeks earlier. So it was measuring at four weeks when I was six weeks. We were told that we had to wait until I was nine weeks to confirm that there was still no heartbeat or if there was a heartbeat, but chances are there wasn't going to be one. 
well, that's great to hear. Not so much. (laughs) It was really hard to hear. And those three weeks were an eternity. They were like the longest three weeks of my life. Because you also have to understand that in that time, even though things weren't potentially developing as they should, my body thought it was pregnant. So I was showing, I had all the feelings. I thought there's no way I'm not pregnant. Like I look pregnant. I feel pregnant. I I have to be pregnant. It really was the longest three weeks of my life. And we went for the ultrasound. And that's when I learned new words like blighted ovum and DNC. There was no heartbeat and this pregnancy wasn't meant to be. And that's where I went into the throes of secondary infertility. And at that point, my bubble was just completely popped. According to the Center of Disease Control stats, 11% of couples experience secondary infertility. That is approximately 4 million families or half of all infertility cases. Secondary infertility is where a woman has difficulty conceiving, even though she has conceived other children in the past. After my DNC, we tried for another year and now I couldn't even get pregnant. And I was suddenly thrown into the world of reproductive endocrinologists, saline sonohistograms, Clomid, IUI, IVF, cycle days, daily blood work monitoring. Guys, one day, I kid you not, it was 18 vials. All my tests came back normal. All looked well. And my husband checked out. Everything looked great. And it was what they called unexplained infertility which, you know, may have made some happy, but not me. If you haven't known this about me yet, I'm a control freak. You know, I needed answers. And that was the hardest thing with this whole experience is that you're in such the throes of having no control. I needed a reason or a cause that would give me that little bit of control that I desperately, desperately needed. You know, why was this happening? What do we need to do? But here's the thing, guys, this story isn't about stats and procedures. It's not about what physically is happening and what medically needed to happen. It's about what we women who suffer from primary or second infertility emotionally go through. While our bodies heal from procedures or losses, Our heads and hearts is truly what suffers. And there's really only one word to describe it. You feel hopelessly and utterly alone. The world kind of goes on and forgets. And I remember that feeling of seeing kind of everybody else go on with their lives. And you feel like you're just stuck in slow motion. Like your entire world at that time is so dependent on the procedure and the next day, and test results, and everything else. You're stuck in slow motion. And family and friends are going to let you down. You know, they, they let me down. And I knew I couldn't expect them to get it. They didn't understand the loss. I also knew it made them feel uncomfortable asking me how I was doing, right? Which irked me sometimes. You know, all I wanted to say was instead of thinking of yourself and how uncomfortable it is for you, like imagine what I'm going through. This isn't about you. But I didn't say any of those things because there was a side of me that also completely understood it. And that would also mean talking about it out loud, right? In a world where the subject of miscarriage or infant loss or fertility and infertility is still so taboo. My husband was my support and he was amazing. 
But still the experience for him was different, right? It wasn't his body that was letting us down. It wasn't him that was going through the tests every single day. You know, he didn't feel the loss in the same way. And though he tried to understand, he did. He was amazing. And I love him for that. He couldn't truly get what I was going through. What I was going through was that I was sick of being the girl who had the miscarriages. I was sick of waiting. I'm not a patient person on a good day. I was sick of waiting, waiting to try, waiting to pee on a stick, waiting for my HCG levels, waiting for ultrasounds. I mean, you'd think at this point I would be an extremely patient person, not so much. I was sick of the unknown. And like I said before, not having any control. I was sick of crying. I promise that I'm not going to cry on this podcast, but I was sick of crying. I cried every single day. I was sick of being prodded and poked and I was sick of the world continuing to go on as usual. The first thing I thought about when I woke up in the morning, it was the last thing I thought about when I went to bed. I was sick of all the fake smiles that I kept having to put on for everyone else's benefits. Really when all I wanted to do was curl up in bed and cry. Right. And I was sick of people just not getting it and never mind not getting it, but not even trying to get it. Another thing is that when you are going through this, and again, those listening that perhaps have gone through it or are going through it, everyone around you is pregnant. Like, I don't know if maybe your senses are just more heightened because you're trying so hard to be that person, but everywhere I looked, people were pregnant or announcing pregnancies. And I was sick of being angry. I was happy for these people, but I can't lie. I'm human. It made me angry, you know, and I was sick of being scared, scared of the unknown, you know, scared of, of not knowing, was this ever going to happen for us? Was this ever going to work? You know, my daughter is what kept me going. This is where I might cry. (laughs) She deserved to be a big sister and the fear of her one day asking me, you know, mommy, how come I don't have a brother or sister? I mean, that would, that would just shake me to the core. How, how could I even answer that? You know, if not for her, maybe I would have thrown in the towel. Like maybe I would have, you know, I don't know if I had no other kids, maybe I would have just said like, okay, forget it. You know, this is too hard. I don't know. Probably not, but maybe, you know, and here's one thing for those that are going through secondary infertility that have another child or other children Here's one thing that I will say is my biggest regret, and this is what's going to make me cry, of course. This was my biggest regret. You know, she was 16 months when we started trying. You know, this whole journey was maybe about two years for us. And in that time, I know I'm a good mother, and I know that I was a good mother to her. I do know that. But my one regret is that because when you're going through this, it really does just consume you entirely. And those going through this know what I'm talking about. I often think of, was I as present with her as I could have been? Excuse me. You know, what moments did I maybe miss with her because I was so wrapped up in my head with all of this? And like I said, guys, I know at the end of the day, I was a good mom and I am a good mom and I did everything I could for her. But I also know that there probably was times where I could have been better. I will never get that time that I lost with her back. So that is my only regret. And it's so easy for me now that I'm through the journey and past it all for me to say to you who maybe is going through it, 
be present with them and try not to think about it all the time, right? Yeah, right. It's so not going to happen. And I get that. But just, just know that. Allow those worries and those stresses and those concerns and that obsessive thinking of it, allow it to go into your mind, but also allow it to go out and try and be as present with them as you can. Because like I said, guys, that probably is my biggest regret of the whole thing. But I always would say deep breath, sigh, and repeat, right? The feeling of loneliness is hard. Family let down, friends let you down. And I mean, in defense to them too, you know, when you're in that situation, I didn't want people to feel sorry for me. So there was a side of me where it's like, don't want to talk about it. Don't ask me about it. Don't pity me. Don't feel sorry for me. Let's just go on like nothing's happening. That was my pride talking, right? And just, there was just that side. But then there's also the side of me that's like, no, like ask me how I'm doing. Ask me how I'm feeling. Be there for me. So it's like, you feel sorry for them too, because they were kind of like damned if they did and damned if they didn't. You're human. And that's how you feel when you're in it. And it's okay to feel that way too. I do remember a moment actually being at the clinic and there was a woman who was sitting in the reception area and this was a fertility clinic. So, you know, if you're there, you're there. We all know why you're there. You're there for a reason. We're all there for the same reason. And she was sitting in the reception area. And as I was leaving, we made eye contact and smiled at one another. And I honestly still think about this moment eight, nine years later It was a split second thing, but in that split second, in that one smile at each other, so many words were exchanged. We knew what we were going through. And that one smile, we said, I know, I know the pain you've suffered and we will get there. And we did. And those who know me know how my story ends. Through IUI and almost two years of trying, we conceived our twins who were born healthy and to two extremely happy parents and one completely enamored big sister. And someone said to me once, it's painful, but it's all a memory once they arrive. And there is some truth to that, but it's more than just a memory. This this was a journey. You know, this was our journey that we had to take to have the family that we wanted. And while it will be a forever memory, it will never be a distant one. You know, it's, as you guys could see, is one that's still very raw and very real, even seven years later. And I am so thankful for my twins. And, you know, if you're going through it now, whether it's through loss or you're going through fertility, just know that I often to this day still look at my twins and I think of the losses that I had. And I think had I not had those losses, I wouldn't have these two amazing kids. I wouldn't. I probably wouldn't have had twins and I wouldn't have had them. So I'm so thankful for them in many ways, very thankful for the journey that I unfortunately had to go through, right? If you are suffering from infertility, please know that you are not alone. Reach out to friends and family. They want to be there for you, but perhaps just don't know how to do it, okay? You'll be surprised that once you start talking about it, you'll be surprised in seeing how many others have gone through the same journey. It's also okay to take a break from those who just truly don't get it. I'm going to be honest, okay? You need to think about yourself right now and your family. If you know someone who's experiencing infertility, call her, ask her how she's doing. She may not want to talk about it, but at least you're letting her know that she's not alone, okay? One thing I will mention too, and this is to Lindsay, who I love and is my 
nearest and dearest heart and soul friend, her husband reached out to my husband because as much as I mentioned before, you know, he wasn't necessarily going through everything that I was, he still was going through it. And men, as we know, don't talk about their emotions as much. So if you know of a man who is going through infertility, know that they are also struggling. And in often some ways, they have to be the rock and the support of their wives. And they might need someone to be a rock for them. So I am always so thankful. Man, I said I wasn't going to cry on this episode. And I'm like crying like a baby. I am always so thankful to the Langfords, who not only were there for me, but also there for my husband. And you guys know that I love you. So spending a day with your friend or loved one, you know, go see a movie, go take a walk. Sometimes just knowing that there is someone there for you can just be a great sense of comfort. Send a card. It doesn't have to say all the perfect things. It just has to say that I am thinking of you and I am thinking of all of you. And please know that you are not alone. And I hope that my story comforts you in some way and helps you in some way in whatever way it will. I don't know, but I just, I want to have shared my story so that you know that you're not alone because that's really, truly what I suffered with the most. So thank you for listening to my story and for hearing me cry. (laughs) And I promise next episode, I won't. And until next time, everybody, I wish everyone sweet dreams and a good night. Thanks for listening, guys. And be sure to check back for more episodes helping your family bring back bedtime. And to make sure you don't miss out, you can subscribe to the This Girl Loves Sleep podcast through Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, or iTunes, basically wherever you get your podcasts. And download our free sleep resources at goodnightsleepsite.com slash podcast. And if you like what you hear, guys, please leave us an iTunes rating and review. That helps the This Girl Loves Sleep podcast reach even more families like yours who deserve better sleep. 